we will go from there. Sounds good. Greetings, Allie. How are you? Well, Chuck, I'm good. How you are look, you? You look lovely as always. Thanks. You are welcome. So, really good episode today. Yeah. And I'm very intrigued and interested and excited about what you're going to talk about. And I'm going to let you lead this thing because this is a relationship that you've been working on and know. And, and so I don't want to step on your toes, but I want to take two seconds if you're cool with it and just talk about something that we've been working on. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Podcast. We do a podcast. Did you know that? We do. Yes, we do do a podcast. I still am really surprised we do, but and, we do. And we know we're still doing it for some reason, right? For some reason. And so are. anyway, um, I think we've got some good things brewing. And so uh, um, a listing service that we've put on the website to uh, let people who have been reaching out to us for referrals, give them a concrete place to go for some people that we really trust and know. Mm-hmm. And also some really good partnerships with people in the mental health community that uh, can offer a lot more than just therapy, but also treatments, med management, all this sort of thing. And so really excited about that. And then, of course, our Patreon account, not to be um, too pandering, but we even have that as well. So we do. if you can bear with me a second, I'm going to play a few promos. Maybe one of your kids will give us $5 a month. <laughs> I don't they'll know. They'll Venmo you for it. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll t- ask for the $5 a month. I'm thinking they're going to have to take it out of their allowance or something like mm-hmm. that. All, all right, right here, we go. here we go. Hang tight. Are you in need of a trusted therapist or provider near your home? All the internet sites and directories can be overwhelming. To help, Allie and I have created an exclusive list of providers in your area that we believe in and trust. While the therapeutic relationship is unique to each individual and the final decision is always up to you, we hope that our trusted listing service can be a good starting point. Visit HealingCenter.co to find a trusted therapist near you. As a therapist, I found it is sadly unusual to have a medical provider who is empathetic, knowledgeable, unhurried, and above all else, relentlessly devoted to getting you better. In fact, I never saw it until Dr. Michelle Cochran. Whether it's through genetic testing, an extremely thorough eval, TMS, or nasal esketamine, she finds a way. Being in network with most major insurance companies, and now with three locations across Middle Tennessee, Dr. Cochran and her team at the Neuroscience and TMS Treatment Center have only multiplied their level of care. Go to our website, healingcenters.co, to learn more or schedule an appointment today. That's it. Anyway, so if you're listening, um, check out the website, and we're always going to have some good stuff there, uh, including those two promos that you just saw. But now let's get to the good part. Why don't you, Allie, if you could, you want to do a little introduction and kind of get us uh, some orientation to the episode that we're about to do? course. So I think I wanted to take a little bit more time today than what we typically take because um, this person, I've just, it's funny how, um, I don't know, people that you're friends with, you tend to be a little bit more protective of their vulnerabilities and their courage. You remember maybe more so than I do other guests that what it takes to be in this position today. And so um, this is somebody who over the last year, I've really begun to call a friend and um I think when we think about this episode, I would love for people listening or watching to really know more about how you and I started this. And so we began with your creativity, your genius, desire, and vision to bring fun and life and humor into a topic that typically can be kind of a downer. And also, um, from my line of work and what I see a lot, I think a huge passion of mine is I see people every day, all day, who feel isolated and shame most of the time and had a real desire for people to get to hear other people's journeys of courage forward and how, um, and hopefully it can kind of bring hope and maybe a clear path for them. And so today, just like every other day, that's what this is. Um, It is not clickbait. It is not a juicy gossip story. Um, It is um, not a tell-all, but it is someone stepping out in courage and vulnerability um, to offer hope and a path forward to others. So it's also a story of undiagnosed trauma, residential treatment, and a road to recovery. So with that, I feel very, very honored today to introduce my friend at this point, Brandon Hatmaker. Hey, guys. Hey. How are you? It's so fun how I really did see you all of a sudden. Isn't that crazy? 
how that it works. It is so crazy. I am not the tech genius of this partnership. So every time I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, Allie, I can't believe I just did that. Allie, you have many skills. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's only room for one tech genius in any environment. That is guaranteed. true. In our team, I am the youngest, maybe there's one other person younger than me, and I'm the only one who uses a paper calendar. I'm like, oh, oh God, funny. don't show me on the on the computer. <laughs> just if somebody will send me an email with what to put in my paper calendar. So Maybe we should just spend a little skin. time talking through that, Allie. Are you yeah, good, exactly. Good okay mm-hmm. No, I'm not. I'm okay to say I'm not, me, I'm not me, ready to grow there yet. We, yeah. Me and Brandon actually worked on this. This is actually for you. We're going to talk to you today. Mm, right. it's it's an <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Good. Well, so um, I want to turn it over to you for a little bit and oh, wow. okay. um, just, I think there are some people listening today that might already know who you are and be familiar. There are some okay. that wouldn't. And um, I know that we had talked about starting with just kind of more of a present day um, where you've been and working our way back, because I mm-hmm. think one of the places that you and I connected was right. through onsite, which is mm-hmm. a residential treatment center outside of Nashville that I really think so highly of and have referred a lot of people to. Good. Yeah. Um, and I'm so, so grateful for the way that they pour into people, but even more so sometimes for the people that come out there and really just kind of launch and go with, the healing that they were able to be provided with there. And so, yeah, yeah, when I first kind of connected with you bizarrely over social media of all things, I saw that we had that in common and um, there was something about that string to me that just felt different maybe than other ones. And I felt really tuned into you and what you had to say. And um, I'd love for you to share some of that um, Mm -hmm. just kind of about your journey there and, Anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> well, thanks, Allie. No, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's really interesting. Um, I remember, um, over those who don't know, you know, went through a pretty tumultuous last few years um, mm-hmm. that through some crazy experiences ended up in divorce mm-hmm. and going into residential treatment, kind of going, what's wrong with me? How did I get to here? What? I don't even recognize myself. Mm-hmm. How did I get here? what is even wrong with me? Um, am I an alcoholic? Am I, uh, do I have some kind of strange other disorder? Do I, uh, what's, what's going on? All I know is I find myself and I don't recognize myself. And so I did, um, have the honor and opportunity to be able to go to onsite. And for those who know onsite, a lot of the, a lot of my friends have known onsite, know them as a place that does, um, like weekly retreats and mm-hmm. a marriage retreats and you go in for five or six, seven days, you know, and, and things, but their milestone program is actually, it's a residential uh, program that starts at 31 days. So wow. um, for those who don't know, I mean, it's no cell phones, no computers, no TV. You can bring some books um, and it's 12 hours a day of, of one-on-one therapy, counseling, group therapy, education which was huge but their focus is on trauma Mm. and um and so it was a really incredible experience for me so when i came back um and i mean the reality is you're not you're not whole when you come back you just have a lot of information in your brain you know Mm. and you start maybe learning some some ways to process things better and and things like that but when i came back and uh finally maybe after a little while reach out a little bit on social media just to share some things that I felt that I was really feeling that I was sorting through and learning about myself and learning about recovery. And, um, I can't remember if you made a comment on it or something like that, but you had made a comment on one of my posts and it was super encouraging, but I felt the same affinity that you did. I felt like, you know what, that was like a real honest thing that someone, like, I I felt like you really heard what I was saying. Like you weren't, Mm -hmm looking for an agenda or I wasn't, what's he really saying or whatever. Like there's just, you, you heard me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think I told you that that was encouraging to me and you can, you told me that you had worked some with onsite or in the area and mm-hmm. you some of your background with trauma and things like that. And so it really felt very safe uh, mm-hmm. to talk with you and, um, in that environment. And so thank you for inviting me into your space now, yeah. um, to kind of be a part. You're very of, brave. Of you reached team. out like, a month or so after we had kind of started developing a friendship and you're like, Hey, if there's anybody I can ever help, let me mm-hmm. know. And I was like, 
okay, great. We have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and Brandon was like, that's not what I was thinking when I said that. So give me a yeah. minute. So this and is here scary. I am. Yeah, no, here you, you know are, what? I, so. I wasn't thinking that either. I, I've had an interesting amount or different kinds of people invite me to be a part of what they're doing or, or to be on a podcast. Uh, Cause this is the first thing I've done in a couple of years. And, um, but to be with someone who understands the background of what uh, my journey entailed, um, I wasn't looking for, you know, I wasn't looking for it at all, but you know, some huge platform or this or that or whatever. I just want to, um, as you live out your story, you just, I can't help but always think that maybe someone else could be helped mm-hmm. from right. that story. Right. Um, or c- could be helped to be able to identify and understand, you know, what they're going through themselves and maybe even save some relationships and save some heartache. And um, just, I just know there can be good that comes out of anything eventually. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it just seemed like that opportunity and a real safety place to do that. Yeah. So. Thanks for inviting me to to come on and share a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for people who don't know more about your background, that mm-hmm. you did have a pretty um, high profile background up to this point. You were in ministry, which I think that in and of itself just adds such a huge weight of people <laughs> like who depend on you and are looking to you and um, you know a big influence as far mm-hmm. as social media and your books that you had written, there was a lot writing on, I can imagine if I were in your position, there was a lot of pressure mm-hmm. leading up to that point. I mean, I think mm-hmm. going through what you've been through is devastating no matter what, but mm-hmm. I think it adds another layer mm-hmm. when there's kind of this filter that you've been living through for so long um, that people have really become attached to and you feel a responsibility in that leadership. Oh, you do. And, and, you know, I think those who are in nonprofit leadership or faith-based leadership and things like that, um, those people are very hard to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I would say this, you know, the majority of my life had been oriented around some kind of uh, service uh, industry or faith-based something, nonprofits, whatever, that was always giving, you know, giving away. Mm-hmm. And I've always had a hard time receiving. Mm-hmm. And um, as I went through, and I know we'll talk about my story some in, in a little while, but as I go through that, some of, you know, some of my friends would come back to me and just say, man, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. And the truth is, I, I, I honestly don't know if they could have done anything for me. Mm-hmm. And it's because I didn't know how to be helped. And I think it's hard. People don't know how to serve their leaders or to help their their leaders yeah. who usually have to stand in that gap for them and give them direction. And so that's a small part of it, mm-hmm. um, for sure. I think that a lot of people deal with. I have a really good friend um, named Brian Carpenter who uh, has a, an incredible uh, uh, organization in Montana where he just serves leaders. That's all he does, and uh, it's just such a amazing organization. And it just it it tunes in. Um, to that desire and that need uh, wow. where people are isolated in certain situations. And then that pressure of that, you mentioned a little bit of the celebrity stuff. Not, I mean, there are many levels of celebrity and I was like really way down, really way down. You were on it, though. <laughs> Depends so, on what it, circle you're in as far as where you um, ranked on that. In some circles, I would say. You're right. high. You're high up. Right. Yeah. Well, it just depends what circle, you know, yeah. there are bigger circles out there, but um, uh, yeah, you know, and, and the expectations on you and the pressure on you and to be involved or have something to say or to always be on point or whatever it may be. And it's interesting, you know, you, uh, if you're, if you're involved with something with you and your spouse or you and your family, whether it's you never claiming you're the best family or best marriage ever, everybody assumes that's what you think you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, Hmm. uh, and so there is an added pressure to those things because you're just in everyone's eye and you learn to take criticism well, and you learn to just understand that everybody has, you know, an opinion, but it's still, it's still hard. It still hurts when things aren't going right. And, um, but that, that pressure is certainly there. And I think that it begins to take over a little bit, the way you view yourself mm-hmm. and what, how you value yourself mm-hmm. and where you gain your, let's call it strokes, 
for lack of a better word, that yeah. affirmation or that right. sense of that sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you start getting into the, and this is the biggest thing for me, I've learned so much over the last few years just about how the neurology mm-hmm. of everything, like how our brain really works when it comes to trauma and things like that. And it's, it's, you know, it's not a choice when something triggers an emotional response and you have this specific feeling because your brain is mapped to do that. It's not mm-hmm. a choice to feel angry or mad or sad or whatever about that, but to understand how those, how those things work. Um, um, I can't even remember. I got to where I was going with that guys. Yeah. No, I mean, I just think <laughs> no. you were talking about like when people have a certain perception of you and right, you feel like you have right, to put it together. Right. Yeah. And so you, when you hear every day, whether it's just on a Sunday, Hey, great sermon or an email that really moved me or message after message on social media or DMS or likes or whatever, you can't help but begin to assign more value to that than you probably should. Yeah. Again, it's not a choice. It's your neuropathways in your brain that begin to respond to that. And yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I meant by what I just said, what you said. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're good. (laughs) But you just live into that and you don't even realize it. You do a little bit. You know, you know it feels good when you're like, oh man, I got that many mm-hmm. likes. Right. Way. You know that feels good. But when you really recognize it is when it goes away. Mm. And it's just super gone, super fast. Yeah. And um, I think that, you know, in my story, um, um, while wow, probably now the math, I have to do the math on it, probably five to seven years ago now, you know, man, I've just felt like on top of the world. You know, mm-hmm. things were going so amazing, or it seemed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were, my my family and my wife at the time, our marriage was, was, going, was going well. Our careers were flourishing. There was a sense of celebrity that was, was rising in, in that time. And, um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, uh, it was a pretty dramatic uh, uh, thing that happened. I had a book that came out in October of I think 16. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was on, just had done a book tour with that. And, and, um, but we were going through a real personal shift in our theology regarding, uh, LGBTQ, mm-hmm. um, which became a very public thing. If you know our story at mm-hmm. all, um, being growing up very conservative evangelical Christianity, that's a that's a tough conversation to have, right? Mm-hmm. Really especially is. in church, especially in church leadership. Oh and, gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, and so you have to tread lightly. And, and I had always felt like a, a peacemaker, a bridge builder, and trying to be, you know, that. But you know, uh, we'd spent several years just really engaging justice issues around the world, and uh, started a donor advice fund that uh, similar to a nonprofit that granted nonprofits around the world to just try and engage systemic issues um, that maybe we could find solutions to. And you just begin to train your eyes to see pain and experience pain around you. And you Mm -hmm. see that and uh, just could not reconcile personally the pain of the LGBTQ community related to to church and faith Um, and really spent a lot of time pressing into that privately um, and had come to a conclusion, personal conclusion, um, that the majority of my life that I was wrong on how mm-hmm. my stance on, um, LGBTQ and, um, Hey, Brandon, it, quick question. Yeah. Super sorry. Does that happen overnight? Oh my goodness. Or is that just, is that just a drawn out slow process for, to- for me? And I would say for us, we literally spent a year going, this feels wrong. So mm-hmm. can we spend a year studying, scripture, studying books, studying science, talking to people, mm-hmm. getting to know people, having conversations literally a year, mm-hmm. um, even with the elders with our church, um, mm-hmm. about are, are we handling this faithfully? Are mm-hmm. we being, are we handling this faithfully? Because I just really believe in a redemptive gospel. And when it seems, seems like we're applying the gospel to this conversation, there doesn't seem to be redemption mm-hmm. um, the way we were. That's a powerful yeah. statement. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, over a year, over a year. And then I was very convinced, we were very convinced 
and dedicated ourselves to, to nearly another year of saying, man, if, literally praying, God, if we're wrong, tell us. We don't mm. want to lead people straight, but we want to lead people towards, you know, towards truth. And um, so uh, we actually had a plan to kind of go public with where we were um, to, in the spring of that next year. And the only reason for the delay of that is because we had a lot of people, agents and, and publishers and people we had spoken to their events and uh, leaders in the church and things like that, that it impacted. There's a collateral impact on all those yeah. around us that either, you know, were responsible for us or financially something connected us or something. Mm-hmm. We, we felt like we had to steward that well mm-hmm. and to be able to clear our path well from that. I had just had literally, I had a book come out in the beginning of October and at the end of October that year, a story uh, leaked out um, that had from an interview that uh, kind of preempted mm-hmm. our being able to, you know, share that mm-hmm. with the people that we loved and the people we cared about and the people that were in our lives. And it went really big, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really fast. And our, ch- our church found out about it on Facebook. Um, our Gosh, our how publishers, uh, yeah, and so that's one thing, right? But the conservative church was so brutal to us. I mean, crushing. Like you cannot, it's just crushing. The things that were said and done, crushing. We had our books pulled off of every bookstore, there's mm. a bookstore in America, um, we had books burned and sent back and mailed to our house. Oh, gosh. Um, just, it just, I mean, people publicly, you know, questioning our, you know, everything about everything we've ever, ever done. So it's just really, it was really brutal. And, and, you know, there was a season there of, of trying to press through it and healing and coming through that. But the truth is, is in one day I lost my entire platform. Um, I lost everything that I had been building towards. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how deeply I lost my identity in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I slowly began to, it's funny how you can move from sadness to anger to resentment very quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, I very quickly just was so frustrated and confused and just angry at, at God because mm-hmm. I felt like he had led us into something that, um, now we were all alone mm-hmm. and, uh, it was very disorienting for me. Yeah. Very, very, very disorienting for me because I just, and I think about, we talk about trauma and we talk about moving towards the different layers of things that have happened in our lives and move us towards this point where I finally hit rock bottom. And there were many layers that were going on. Mm-hmm. That was the first one for me was a, it was a, it wasn't a full loss of faith, but it was a type of loss of faith that was, mm-hmm. that had been the cornerstone of my entire life. Yeah where um, I finally stood up and thought I felt very hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I could no longer teach mm-hmm. and not have any kind of integrity on where I felt this was going and what I had known and believed all along. Mm-hmm. It just felt, it was just very daunting. I felt very alone with that. And I think that in the beginning of that, um, uh, my ex-wife Jen and I, it affected us in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the type of leadership I was in, I was unable to recover mm-hmm. while she was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, you know, that's not her fault, but I feel, I just felt left behind. And it was really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really weird. Mm-hmm. It was hard to find my legs. Yeah. Um, but the faith, that loss of faith was the very beginning for me, of just being very disoriented about what I was doing and why I was doing it. I was exhausted. I was exhausted of giving, constantly giving out mm-hmm. um, to be received in that, that kind of way mm-hmm. in that time. And that was, that was like the really the beginning of a, of a downward, downward spiral that eventually became incredibly out of control. Yeah. Um, but that loss, you know, loss of faith, loss of identity, loss of career, um, and at the same time, I had just gone through um, 
couple of surgeries <laughs> for my body. I was getting older. I was getting mm. in my forties. Well, your trauma and was, was just, catching up to your body, pardon? right? Your body was well, catching up. I yeah. mean, it's just so interesting how I think that's one thing I wish we would talk about more is how much our bodies mm-hmm. hold our trauma. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It, when we don't really yeah. lean into the emotional mm-hmm. part of us, our bodies hold it. And yeah. Gosh, I mean, I just can't imagine the impact of those two things at the same time yeah, for you. Yeah. Well, we talked about that too. The book, The Body Keeps a Score. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that going, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like, this is exactly what I'm mm-hmm. feeling. It's unreal. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, just going through different experiences and some of mine were just injuries, you know, from old sports injuries and things like that. But um, I was having, I had had back surgery and my, and I was having nerve pain, constant nerve pain. And my, my back doctor put me on gabapentin. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember shortly after that going through some of these things, I had always never really understood depression, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I had always been the guy who's like, hey, if you're sad, just you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. You know, I don't understand. I've never understood suicide. Mm-hmm. I'd always felt like it was incredibly selfish mm-hmm. that it was – um, I mean, how could anyone ever see that as a solution or something like that until all of a sudden you are looking to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you don't even have boots on, you know? Wow. And I found myself at one point there just so, I literally just depressed as I could, it's the only way I could describe it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's strange because I instantly went, I don't know why I had never looked at it, but one of the side effects of gabapentin for some people is depression or suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts and things like that. And I knew instantly that's what it was. And I stopped taking it. And within two months I was back. Wow. 100% back. I didn't feel sad. I wasn't, you know, um, so it was really interesting mm-hmm. because I, I had started having those and I don't know if, um, once that neural pathway is opened up, if you can easily return to that space or, or what? Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's so different for every brain, literally. I think that's part of what is so hard about psychology that isn't there for a back surgeon or a heart surgeon as every brain is so different and it's really hard for us to be able to pinpoint something like that. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a dark time. Mm -hmm. It was a real dark time. It was very disorienting. Um, and, you know, a handful of other things were going on, I think, with my family. Some private things, some public things. It would just feel like a beatdown. One thing after another. Health issues with my dad that was just, they were just brutal. Mm-hmm. Some, some very private things with our family that was really tough um, yeah. to go through with our kids. And um, um, it seemed like there was one thing after another that were just, Things that you can you can get through on their own, mm-hmm. um, different kinds of loss, um, but they just kept adding up. But still, things that seemed like you know you can just you can get through this, you can find it. Mm-hmm. But it was just affecting everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it was affecting my relationship with my wife. It was we were finding we were going through all these things together, but we were we were we were making it through on our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just not able to find that path together. And don't you think when you're hitting with loss that creates chaos and crisis that it's really hard to even think about? Like when I think about you in that situation, it's like, gosh, you're having such a panic response in your brain. Mm -hmm. There's really it's really difficult. I don't know if I would say Mm -hmm. impossible, but maybe to make sure, hey, we're going through this together. Like you have to, like you tend to find your own coping skills yeah, and think we'll kind of come out to the other side of this and reconnect or something. But I think sometimes you look at each other and you just think, man, you're such a sturdy person that you got to be okay. Or that you're just, it's just going to self-correct or fix itself, you Mm -hmm. know? And, um, that doesn't always, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. I think um, when you put more power in that person, Versus the trauma that you're experiencing. I think that's exactly yeah. what happens. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think about, I know it is forms and people need to think about it. everyone has trauma, different forms, different mm-hmm. levels. And it affects our development, whether it's childhood trauma or adult trauma or whatever. It affects us. It's the reason why we think certain ways and we feel certain ways. And to identify where it's coming from is one of the most significant things because then you can understand that maybe it's not that person in front of you that you're really angry with. Mm -hmm. 
or you deal with that situation differently because you understand where those emotions and those feelings are coming from. But if you don't know what's going on or where it's coming from, you're just reacting. Yep. And I don't know. I heard this at one point. I don't know the full truth to it, but I heard that not that many years ago, uh, the general thought process was that your mind told you how to feel Mm -hmm. and that there's been a shift in understanding that truly your feelings tell your mind how to think. Mm Mm-hmm. And that trauma informs that those feelings, and then it interprets and 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 that there then impacts the way you think and you know execute whatever's in, in front of you. Um, yeah. And it seems very true, but I never really saw those things as trauma. I didn't understand that. I knew those were hard times, you know, and I knew those were affecting me. And I was always prided myself as a sturdy person and whatnot. And so here's how you would experience me in those times: I was just distant and I was angry. Mm-hmm. I was just distant and angry. I was untouchable. And it was very hard and it was very hard. And so much division grew for about three years, Hmm. um, just of, of just spiraling down for me. But again, each one of those things seemed like something that in and of itself was not a, they were hard, but not, not overcomable, if that makes sense. And then I had an incident on that same year that I know now was life altering for me. Hmm. And, um, I was with a group of friends um, at a bike rally, a motorcycle rally, and we were on a golf cart and we were driving around and it was earlier in the evening um, and I turned a corner and a buddy of mine that was on the back fell off the cart and he fell down and he went on onto the concrete. Mm. And I came around, I thought he was joking. I watched it, it was like in slow motion. I thought he was kidding and I was like, get, Scott, get up, you know, whatever. And he rolls over and he's, Obviously, was not kidding. There was there was blood coming out of his nose and out of his ear. Gosh. And uh, he was in and out of consciousness at the time. And, um, you know, long story short, the ambulance took him into the ICU and he had a pretty intense um, brain injury. And he was for the first couple of days, he came in and out of consciousness and he was intubated and he was in ICU and he came out for a little bit, but then went back under and literally from June 9th until August 22nd, two and a half months, every single day I sat in the ICU and watched my, one of my best friends die. Gosh, Brandon. And, um, just to, you know, to, to see him every single day, lose another two, three, four pounds, you know, he lost like 90, hundred pounds. He's a big man. His skull was cut out to relieve the pressure and just, it was just, it was brutal. It was very, very brutal. And something happened in that experience for me where I was, I was officially lost. I was gone. That was like the final straw, domino, whatever for me. And I just gave up. I 100% gave up. And I remember one night, uh, it was my night. We, we all took turns from my, my motorcycle club staying the night at, um, at the hospital. And I remember the night that I saw and I just knew he wasn't there anymore. And I went and got a bottle of Jameson and I still had a hydrocodone from my back pain and I popped both and drank both and Mm. jumped on my bike and took off. And it was just this beginning of this downward spiral that Mm -hmm. I just, I can't even, I can't even recognize myself in that, in that moment and in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just, I was lost. I was lost and I felt, no one around me saw me. No one around me understood it. Everyone experienced me not as hurting, but as just angry, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was more mad at God. I was more mad at my wife. I was more mad at my friends who didn't get it. I was, um, it was just very disorienting. And the funny thing is, is everything outside supposedly is great, and, but you're so fractured from how you're really feeling feeling inside gosh the misalignment there that you were having the misalignment that you were having to live in and i can imagine because your platform was gone it felt like survival to to make sure that that other thing of everything's okay was intact so that you could keep at least that wheel going you try for a while gosh you know you keep you try for a while and then you just um i have a i have a friend who does um, a lot of work with ptsd soldiers Mm -hmm. And um, 
he said something to me that really resonated. He said, you know, most of my friends and the guys I work with, with massive PTSD from war, um, that PTSD typically does not in itself create new issues for them. Typically, it just strips them of their, of their ability to deal with the things they used to be able to deal with. Mm. And, and then their lack of coping skills or mechanisms, that may lead to drinking or drug abuse or this or that, or that creates more problems. And then that trauma creates trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I experienced was this, um, this, this shame cycle mm-hmm. of, of doing anything you can to try and feel and that being something out of character for you typically. Mm-hmm. And then you're feeling worse because of that. So you come back to doing something else destructive to try and cover up the pain or the guilt or the shame or whatever. Yeah. And I think and it's, just it's, to it's tolerate it, I mean, just to tolerate that shame and emotion, yeah. you know, it's almost just like, it's so intolerable yeah. in those places you yeah. do anything out of that panic response to right. just be able to be right. in that moment. And it's crazy because here, Ali, here is the hardest thing for me that I never want to. I did things that I will regret for the rest of my life that I wish I could undo. Right. Yeah. And you never want to make it sound like you're making an excuse for those things. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like you want to own it. You want to own where you were and what you did. And so you can heal from it and you can grow, but, and not allow that to define you, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But um, you don't want to sound like, well, this was going on. So that's why I did that. So it's okay. And no, it's just not, there's no excuse. There's no, there's no excuse that makes it okay to do certain things in life. And, you know, for me, um, you know, in, in my life, I felt so lost and so distant and it affected my marriage so deeply. And we just felt like it was going to keep self-correcting. And it seemed like no matter amount of counseling I would go to or try and figure out what was going on with me or whatever, we just could not reconnect for over three years. It's just a complete disconnect of intimacy and complete disconnect from closeness. And we were just doing, you know, doing life. And it, here is me over here just getting more mad and angry and, and, and needing someone or needing something to, to fix me. And I don't even know what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and just destructive, Mm -hmm. but I will tell you this, I didn't realize until just that, that experience with Scott. And I remember, and I'm not going to speak, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to speak for Jen on, on things, but she did say something to me at one point that I know was incredibly true. And she said that I know that we lost you when you lost Scott. Mm -hmm. And it was true. Mm -hmm. It was true. Mm -hmm. And um, that started three year spiral. That was just, just brutal. Yeah. And um, I didn't recognize anything to feel anything to do, doing things that are so out of character for myself, Mm -hmm. wasting money in stupid and ridiculous ways. And after, I mean, just three really tough years, three really tough years in those times, I knew I just felt my marriage was over, Mm -hmm. that it had been over Mm -hmm. and we could not recover. We could not reconnect. We could not find one another. Mm -hmm. And um, I just gave up. Mm -hmm. I remember... It is funny. It's not funny, huh? But it's just crazy how you can move so quickly to becoming, to finding something to be resentful about mm-hmm. and turning it into entitlement yeah. mm. and um, justifying, you know, um, you know, your actions, you know, and then after 26 years of marriage, you know, um, I ran into someone who seemed to be an ally to me and emotionally began to connect with her. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of months, it became physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time, only time, greatest regret of my life. Wow. Um, and it was uh, about two months later that it was exposed. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And just brutal, just ugly and destructive and harmful and hurtful. And I swore for three years that I wasn't going to do it backwards, that I would never do something like that, that I would. And that's why I say this to those who are struggling out there in their marriage that just do. I mean, you've got to come to it and do head head on Mm -hmm. that is not going to self-correct itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, especially those of you who it's just so funny. They think about at times I thought, man, the last thing I want to do is hurt the people that I love and you end up hurting them even more. Yeah. Hey Brandon, what do you, what do you mean? And Allie too, I, I think I know exactly what you mean, but I've never heard it uh, said like that. Self-correcting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, <laughs> my, you know, I grew up in a household where, you know, emotions weren't necessarily shared, you know, <laughs> and they're pretty, right. pretty much a, uh, is is that self-correcting? Is is that where you just kind of you just keep rolling? It's, yeah, I it, think that self-correcting means you got an issue, and then you or maybe have a fight, or you have something you need to work on, and you you acknowledge that it's something you need to work on, and then you just never do anything. Yeah. Maybe you wait for the other person to make the first move, <laughs> and they never do, yeah. so mm-hmm. you don't. Uh, maybe you don't know how to. Maybe you don't know how to speak to each other. Maybe you don't know how to hear each other. Um, I mean, to your point, though. I mean, just in all fairness, I think in any relationship. A, a certain amount of self-correction is valid. You know, oh, there's, there's, there's going to be yeah. a bad mood in some mm-hmm. household at some time. Yeah. And yeah. if the other one's taking it personal, that's just, yeah. let's talk about it the next day. You know, so where's the line between yeah. self-correction and really? Uh, I think there's a difference when you know that, ooh, this is a bad mood thing. And when you know, I've lost connection with right. you. Mm-hmm. And I think in that place where I've lost connection with you, I mean, I know I've been there in my own marriage at times. It feels so vulnerable and scary. And I think when you feel without tools, um, especially if you're someone who's used to being able to fix things, yeah, yeah, it yeah. feels like so unknown. I wouldn't even say that yeah. it necessarily feels overwhelming or scary because I think people who are used to holding things are used to the scary things. I think it feels mm-hmm. so unknown that you don't really know what to do with it. Yeah, you like know. you kind of just say like, "Ooh, that one I don't know how to touch." Yeah. Now the nonprofit right. where we're saving kids who can't eat i got that one like right. i got so many tools for that and <laughs> for this sure. feels way more admirable so i'm gonna go mm. do that and like we've been holding each other since we were teenagers we'll figure it out and i think yeah. it kind of just i think there's something empowering and i wanted to say this earlier when you were talking about there's no excuse 100 we all have to own our stuff and for people who are listening in that place of shame and maybe isolation and they have something that they're not they haven't exposed yet or that feels unknown, I think they might hear that and go, see, there's no excuse. And kind of you keep spiraling. And I'm like, there's no excuse. Mm. And also life is so real. Right. And but there's a reason. There's no excuse, but it, there's a reason. There is a reason. And there's, there's, you got there somehow. Yeah. And so if you, if you neglect really giving yourself to space to understand that, then there's no healing beyond that because you don't, you can't, um, it's not that you let yourself off the hook, but, you can actually go back and go, oh my gosh, that makes sense. Like yes. neurologically, that makes sense. Yes. And and you can believe in yourself a little bit, maybe even when no one else will. Because you let and, yourself off the hook. Yeah. In a way. But you, I mean, I you, mentioned some, you mentioned something, Allie, I think is really critical. You talked about coping. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's really important. I hope everyone, I, I didn't know, I didn't even know what a coping skill was. I didn't know about In mindfulness this helping profession. You didn't know that unless you're Gosh. no, no, no. I mean, I mean, straight up. I mean, to really understand, but first of all, I had never gone through an experience. And this is your world. So we assume everybody knows this, mm-hmm. but people don't understand how their childhood trauma, their experiences as adults really affect the way they think mm-hmm. and the way they feel and the trigger mechanism and different things. And so why they're having this emotion. I've been told my whole life, you're angry. That's bad. Mm-hmm. Finally, someone said, no, you're angry. Why? Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, because of this. And then, well, well why? Because of that. Okay. That's understandable. You know what? You should be angry. That should piss you off that that happened. Yeah. But what can you do about that? And just the, the, the exercise of processing that way is such a game changer. Cause I didn't know how to do that. I would try and say, here's how you, here's how I feel. 
And I would just make everybody angry around me. Like I'm accusing them of every, and I just like, this is how I feel. I don't know how to fix it. And so what do then you go to? Well, it sure was easy just to go drink, mm-hmm. you know, or go do things that were exciting or made you feel something or whatever. And those are all coping, you know, poor coping skills. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I always tell people in those places when they come in my office, I say, you're actually doing a great job because you're searching for a coping skill. We yeah, just got to replace right. it with one that, like launches you versus you wake up and you realize you're further down. You know, I mean, I think our bodies know how to protect us and get us out of that space. But if we're not educated on the outside, we're always going to pick up one of those. Allie, that's super important because one of the things that I, that I, I struggle with and that I was really grateful for going for milestones is because they're trauma based. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to look at my life, you would think, oh, this all happened because you're an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. The truth is that I'm not an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And if all I did was deal with drinking, Mm -hmm. then I would have filled it with a different negative coping mechanism. I would have dealt because I did. I stopped drinking for three months. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I still drink now, but I don't drink during the week. I might have, you know, I'll have some on the weekend or something like that. I'm not an alcoholic, but it's what I use. I abused mm-hmm. alcohol right. as, a, as a coping mechanism, right. and I abuse these different things. And if I just deal with those things, then all I'm going to do is find another negative coping skill or thing to deal with that if I don't deal with the trauma, with mm-hmm. the root of it. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to Milestone, it actually ticked me off because I wanted to talk about why I blew my marriage up. And they wouldn't let me talk about anything but my childhood for the first two weeks. <laughs> Gosh, so powerful. I'm so <clears throat> grateful for a place like that. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. And it was good, man, because mm-hmm. I've, I saw things that I never knew. Mm-hmm. I never knew that had impacted me and shaped some of the things that I have to struggle with today as an adult. Mm-hmm. And some of the things, you know, your parenting styles, things like that, you, you know, we're there, different generations parent differently and how it affects how you parent today and things like that. But some really, really important things <clears throat> that then began to, that, that with the filter in which my adult trauma was seen through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but to give yourself permission to really say, this is real, guys, like that really affects you. That really affected who you are and how you think and how you feel. And um, it's something I just wish everybody knew mm-hmm. <laughs> and that it really mattered. Brandon and Allie, what, educate me a little bit. What is, what is the strategy on working through your childhood for two weeks oh, wow. before, you know, what, what is the, why, why is that? Why go I there love first? That you brought that up, and I want—I would love for you to speak to it as you feel comfortable. But I think the main yeah. thing I wanted to say when you first talked about on-site and milestones at the beginning is, I think I hear so many people who have come in, and I typically see people in really traumatic states where they've been to four or five providers at this point, and um, they're like, "But I don't want to be hospitalized." I'm like, "Okay, there's, right. so there's like hospitalization, right. but there's also residential treatment," and I right. think what you experience. I think it's so good for people to know there's something besides a hospitalization right? and that it really is more of that, like, um, it's not a medical perception, even though there is that um, factor, but it's more so understanding, like, hey, we're going to create safety for you here, for you to tolerate the discomfort, and it gives me chill bumps every time, we're still going to hold you. Right. Whatever comes up, like, we're going to be here and contain Right. And in more than like a 50 minute session so that you don't have to put it yeah. back together real fast. So yeah, I'd love that, for you to talk that might've been the first place I've ever experienced. And then because I did go to AA for a little while, just to mm-hmm. definitely was having pre signs of you don't get this under control. You could become an alcoholic kind of a deal and just mm-hmm. wanted to get into that environment more. And it was a similar feeling, but where I was in an environment where I could say anything and I would not surprise one person in the room. Mm-hmm. Not one person would go, Oh, dang you know mm-hmm. and it's just you don't have that and i grew up in church i've never had that which is how church should be isn't that sad mm. isn't that sad but you know what we're people and we don't that environment is it's created for that mm-hmm. and which is what church should be but yeah we're just we're learning and we're growing right and so yeah. for me it's so important and we talked about this a little bit ali that 
that my, um, the kinds of treatment that is available and that really work and that it's really important not to underthink that because I've had different experiences. I was in counseling, uh, for three years. That was okay. Okay. It was good. Once, once every two weeks, once a month, whatever. It was good. It was, I was, to be honest with you at the beginning, it wasn't that helpful because when I got to start focusing on myself, it was the first time I ever got to be really selfish about myself. And then I started getting angry and I didn't know how to deal with that. And it was too slow for me. Um, my, uh, but it was helpful to begin, you know, to begin that, to begin that journey. Um, I think about, we've talked about it. I, I think the Enneagram is very, very powerful yeah, to understand is. yourself also in a relationship. What does it look like when a two is married to a three? Mm-hmm. What are your strengths? What are your dangers? What are all of these things? But it can also be very, very dangerous when you uh, focus on your, your partner's Enneagram more than your own. Mm-hmm. Like, because you can go, I know this is because of your deal. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, then that could be a, yeah, a very dangerous is. thing. It's like trying to get in a fight after one day of learning karate. You know, just enough, you know enough. <laughs> <to get elected. laughs> right. That's good. Um, yeah. And so you have to be careful with how much you pour in just a little bit to things here and there. My first exposure with any kind of antidepressants, do you know where I got it? I called one of these daily men's clinics towards the beginning of, of COVID and they say, man, I'm just, I'm, I feel depressed. And then I'm having bouts of anxiety. They put me on Lexapro over the phone and prescribed me Xanax that they prescribed up to four times a day taking Xanax. Uh, and I'm telling you right now, I you want me that. to go, pardon me. I said, I didn't know that piece that it was that much goodness. Uh, if you, and I would have some anxiety, I would have whatever I tell you, it would be gone. But I'll tell you this right now that I would not feel a thing and I did not care about a thing. I did not, not at all, not one thing. Yeah. And that, I mean, you combine then combine that with a little bit of drinking and a little bit of depression and everything else. And it's just, just destructive. And when I was doing my in, um, I had two weeks after I moved out, um, before I went to milestone, I stayed with my brother and sister and, and I didn't drink at all or anything like that. And, um, I was doing my in processing and they were talking about what medications are you on? Blah, 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 blah. And I, and I, Al, Alprazolam, is that the Xanax name? Alpro, uh, anyways. And I said, I was on that and they go, no, go throw it away right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? This is prescribed. And they said, no, go throw it away right now. And I poured it all out in the toilet, just boom, gone. Yeah. And, uh, I just, as I look back and I know how it affects me, I'm gone. It was, it was terrible. It was terrible for me. Um, gabapentin, same thing. Um, you know, counseling in certain ways and certain, you know, um, it's, it's really interesting. I was really grateful. I did not really want to go to milestone, but I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the immersion of it was so significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I'm super grateful. I'm super grateful for that time. Yeah, and I think if you're in the midst of a crisis or not, to answer your question, I think we just don't value those years of our life enough because I think we talk about it in such a nostalgic, um, kind of funny way if something did happen. But to really realize that's when our brain was developed, made. Right. <laughs> like your it's first, not just- your first sexual experience, if it was negative, your first you know, remembering of severe fear or pain, um, all of those things. Like it's like how as our brain is developing in that space, that that then becomes our filter, whether we know it or not. And Mm -hmm. so I think when you look at childhood stuff, you know, one of the things I always tell people is like, I don't know, I don't remember anything really. That's like pretty much the first thing. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you might picture yourself right now in a lunchroom with like a blue cement wall and it feels so random. Can you talk about that? All right. Okay. Well, there is one of those. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it just doesn't, and I'm like, let's start there. I mean, it's amazing what um, our brain holds, yeah. but we kind of talk about it in this like fairy tale way, but a lot of life happened and not just that it happened. Our brain was being made in right. the process. And but so in, isn't, that, isn't that also a time to just establish, I would, I would expect trust that you're not digging into the, 
very specific traumatic experiences that you may be feeling at the moment, but but you're just spending time just building relationship and trust with the people you're working with. Yeah, Would that be true? to go on what you said about therapy, I think I feel kind of the same way about church, and that's my own stuff, as they do about the therapy world, of like people come to this to people in this profession and med management, residential, anything mental health, and think like these people are trusted because it has to be safe in order to bring yourself to that place. And it's Mm -hmm. just like any other profession. There's going to be people that know how to handle your stuff and people who don't. And I think when you walk into it with the lens of everybody here is safe, everybody here is equipped nobody would meet me if they couldn't. They're made for this. That's actually not the truth. Right. And so I see people yeah. all the time. when it's I. It's dangerous, yeah. 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 The first session I always tell people, I am not the best fit for everybody. And every mental health professional should say that. Because mm-hmm. if you walk away from this and didn't get what you need, you're going to think it's because of therapy. And it's not. It's because of me. Mm-hmm. That's like, fair. That's good to say, Ali. I like that. And so I Thank think you for, for you that. to have on-site, like that was mm-hmm. different. And so oh my goodness! is hearing you right now and going, I'm in therapy. Yeah. I'm already doing that. So I really am hopeless if he got out and I didn't. It's like, no, no, no. You're just not yeah. where you need to be. Right. Do you know what was really surprising for me? And um, EMDR. Mm. Um, yeah. That so was my crazy. most significant breakthroughs yep. was through EMDR. And, you know, for those of you who don't know what that is, EMDR it does, you, you, you do physical things like either moving your eyes back and forth while you're recalling or telling a story, a scene from your life or a traumatic experience. Sometimes you can hold these things that vibrate back and forth. And the reason the back and forth is it forces you to engage both sides of your brain as you're retelling the story, right? Am I saying that correctly? Yep, exactly. And so as you retell this story, you, and you're using both sides of your brain, it allows you to actually recall it as it actually was. And, and you can kind of remap the emotions around those experiences, right? And so I did that with several different scenes, you know, that I had been through in my life, whether self-inflicted or, or not. And, um, but the, the most traumatic one for me, this is really, this may sound weird, but I'm telling you this happened. I carried so much guilt and shame from, from Scott's death. It was yeah. just really strange. Mm. Like I kind of felt like I was there in that, that evening to kind of take care of my guys and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny. It's bringing up emotion to me now because I've been so it's, I've, I've really come through a lot of it. I'm still, I mourn his death, obviously. And the season that, 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 that I went through with that. But um, so I did it, but it's interesting, you know, you go to the hospital and, and, and I'm thinking the whole time, my God, this is my fault. And everyone's telling me, this isn't your fault. It's okay. It's not your fault. And I'm thinking, I never told you I thought it was my fault. So everyone telling me it's not my fault just is reinforcing oh, that it probably, yeah. it probably is, you know. And so dealing with all this stuff. And so anyways, I'm doing EMDR at Milestones. I did two major sessions with it. And, um, but I carried so much guilt. Whenever that conversation came up, just instant guilt and just guilt and just just feels like the final straw for everything in my life. And um, the night after my second session, and I've heard this is common, that stuff happens, weird things happen in your dreams mm-hmm. after EMDR. I dreamt the scene from Goodwill Hunting wow. where Robin Williams was hugging me, telling me it's not your fault. Mm, yep. It really happened. That really happened. When I woke up, I believed it. It was, I, I still mourn it. I mourn his death. But for two years on his birthday, I was, I was a mess. Afterwards, I can remember him with a smile. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very real. I mean, there's some real things that you can get help and it can really make a difference for you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it is hard though because when you're in that environment, you're going through things that are all about you and you're going at a different pace than everybody else is outside that you hurt. Mm-hmm. And that was the hardest part, I think, for me and my relationships at that time. Um, 
it's not all rose petals and everything's fixed. You know, there's still a lot of work to be done, but maybe you're more capable of doing that. I mean, you are once you really dealt with those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyways, I'm huge endorsement for for just really some creative therapy and, and, and really thinking outside of the box and, I just would hope that anyone who finds themselves in the place before they did the things that they can't undo, mm-hmm. that you would really work hard to consider, you know, this whole conversation, all the things yeah. that can be done and yeah. the conversations that do need to be had. Um, um, you know, because if not, you'll deal with all this other trauma and then you'll have to spend the rest of the next several years dealing with the new trauma you created, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is where I've been the last two years. (laughs) I can't wait to talk about that more. I wonder if this is a good place to pause to kind of think about if you're listening to this, I think to hear that um, you aren't guilty regardless of where you are, that you might've made intentional choices that you can't take back that you regret, but that there is a way forward and that there there are tools that maybe you haven't um, had access to yet that can begin to set you on a path where maybe right now you feel like everything's kind of overwhelming or shut down, um, that no matter where you are, I mean, you really touched on every type of trauma (laughs) in your first, you know, we talk about one of the things I talk about with patients a lot is like the top 10 um, biggest things that cause a life crisis. And you literally named all 10. Um, so regardless of where you are in any of those, that if you stop at guilt, you don't grow. And I think when you said that about, I felt so guilty, what I heard is you were disconnected from yourself. You lost yeah. trust in yourself. And when we lose trust in ourselves, it's impossible to trust other people. Even if we're clinging to them, there's really a lack of trust. We have to trust ourselves first. And so I think finding your way back to that, um, I get so excited about hearing people hearing more about the last couple of years of your story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's important when you're to understand starting with yourself. Every, I think everybody knows that, but it's hard to really accept that, mm-hmm. to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in relationships, because you, you cannot tell the truth to other people when you're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that order, you know, and, and then coming back into real life is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, especially, um, you know, um, trying to move forward and not move on. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think moving on ignores your past. I think moving forward builds on your mistakes. Mm-hmm. It still honors your past. It, it says, no, you can't take away that those two decades that were good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you build on that and you become better for your, for, for yourself and for those around you or those who are still around you or mm-hmm. new relationships and new friendships. And hopefully you're not just back to who you were, but maybe somehow you're, you're way better. You know, yeah. um, more trustworthy, even though, you know, you, you feel like maybe you can never be trusted again or more dependable mm-hmm. when you were the most undependable at, at one moment in your life. And so I think that's a, a constant journey, right? Gosh, that you so continue is. to build. Mm-hmm. It is. Probably. Yeah. Well, I know we're going to have him on for um, phase two of this to talk about kind of the last two years and also the excitement and the energy and just power that he's bringing into what's coming, not just where he's been, but gives me chill bumps. Um, but I think what I really, you're so optimistic, Allie. That's so awesome. <laughs> Thank you. No, I really do. What I I'm, kind of, say, I'm kind of limping into next week and you're like, I can't wait to see next I week. Like, feel like, him well, like, okay. like all this, like, I don't know, power, but yeah. I think what, um, I want to kind of speak into you specifically as we wrap up today is um, I was imitating my mom for Chuck earlier before we started. This is a weird rabbit trail. But one of the things she always told us growing up was always tell the truth, always tell the truth. 
And I remember being like, okay. And then when it got hard to tell the truth, mm. I like heard that voice, but I was like, shit, I cannot tell the truth. Mm. And I think um, one of your superpowers and also one of the things that really was kind of that thread that we talked about in the beginning between you and I was, man, this guy's telling the truth. And when you have yeah. been through a lot of stuff, you recognize when somebody's telling the truth and you also recognize it's going to the courage that it takes to tell the truth. And I think when you start with your foundation of truth, it's going to be so hard. It's going to be so painful. It's going to feel yeah. intolerable, but you can grow from there. And when you were saying, yep. if you can't be honest with yourself, you can't with other people. I'm sure you have not done that well forever, but in this moment, mm. Um, I really respect that in you, your conviction to be honest. Ali, thank you. And, and truth is so refreshing, right? But it's just so, it's such an embarrassing topic for me. Because in the middle of all of it, it was just so untruthful, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then even now it's so embarrassing mm-hmm. that, um, you know, you still bend to try and tell the best version of every bad story, <laughs> right? You know, like the the details that really they're really irrelevant to the rest of the world, but they're very painful to those who are involved. You know, it just feels like um, it's hard to be told what you just told me. But thank you. Yeah, you really do it beautifully, and the reason, the fact that you're limping is what makes it so beautiful. When we are truthful. Um, and I think that's like why I want this so bad because the power that I experience in my office every 45 minutes all day long is like, gosh, if people could feel this, Mm -hmm. we would feel, we would have chains. Literally. We would hear it all day long. Chains fall. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy? And we don't feel like we can because I think it feels embarrassing, but I actually think that's vulnerability. Yeah. I think we feel vulnerable. Well, I'm no, I'm still embarrassed. (laughs) I do feel vulnerable, but but I'm still embarrassed and it's okay. I think it's okay to feel that because I kind of feel like I should be, (laughs) you know, Um, but you're right. You're right. And that truth is what's really interesting to me is have you ever been in an experience where you're holding truth back Mm -hmm. and when you're exposed, even as painful it is, it feels a little relieving. Isn't that freaking weird? Mm -hmm. Like that's scary, but it's really insightful to, you know, I think validate what you're, what you're saying. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, we can keep talking obviously, but I've got to go to the bathroom. So thank oh, you. <laughs> Chuck knows I always have to go to the bathroom. The episode. Um, well, we're yeah, going to visit again tomorrow. So yeah, we'll do it again tomorrow. And, and we'll um, I just really off. can't tell you again how grateful I am that you've been willing to tell the truth. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Chuck, thank you for Thanks, Brandon. Thanks. Look forward to talking again. And, uh, I'm going to push the button here so so you can go. And Brandon, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Awesome. Hello, Healing Centers friends. This is Chuck. And Allie. We are so thankful you're listening, learning, and hopefully enjoying our podcast. If you like this community and want to make it official, you can share the love back by becoming a Healing Centers sustaining member. Simply go to healingcenters.co and click the link Support Us on Patreon. Even a $5 membership helps us keep this podcast going. From our studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is Healing Centers, a podcast where we talk to experts and leaders in wellness, mental health, physiology, fitness, nutrition, and any other topic that helps us get through the day with purpose and through our life with long-term success and health. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit our website at www.healingcenters.co to share feedback, suggest future episode topics, and find out more about the people on our podcast.